All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Valley Creek. We are so glad that you are here with us. Whatever campus or location you may be at, maybe you're in Denton, Flower Mound, Louisville, the venue, an extension site watching online, wherever you are in the world. Can we just welcome each other together for a moment? We are so glad that you are here. We are one week away from Easter. I can't believe how fast this year is going by, and we are so excited for what God is going to do because next week we get to stop, reflect, celebrate, and experience the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I'm going into this week with a lot of hope. I have a lot of hope that people are going to get saved, that miracles are going to happen, healings are going to take place, breakthroughs are going to come, that we're going to have this incredible experience and encounter with God. You see, Easter is always our biggest service of the year. We make a ton of space for the city to come. People are uniquely open to the gospel. God moves and does some profound things. So I'm believing for an amazing Easter experience. And yet in the midst of all the busyness of our life, it's easy to lose sight of like what Easter is really all about. Like we, we get so caught up into going into Easter, like what is our family going to do and where are we going to eat? And moms are thinking about, does the family have the perfect Easter outfit for the family picture and the selfie that we've got to post and share with grandma in another state? And, and what are we going to do with Easter eggs and baskets? And while all that stuff is great and there's nothing wrong with it, it's not the heart of what Easter is all about. And so what I want to do today is I want to finish up this great series we've been in called The Ripple Effect. And all I want to do is try to prepare and position our hearts for Easter. So if you've got a Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, we're just going to look at five verses. This is a story of when Jesus calls Matthew to come and be his disciple. And I'm going to read it to you out of the Passion Translation. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. As Jesus left Capernaum, he came upon a tax collecting station where a traitorous Jew was busy at his work collecting taxes for the Romans. His name was Matthew. Come follow me, Jesus said to him. Immediately, Matthew jumped up and began to follow Jesus. Later, Jesus went to Matthew's home to share a meal with him. Many other tax collectors and outcasts of society were invited to eat with Jesus and his disciples. When those known as the Pharisees or the religious people saw what was happening, they were indignant and they kept asking Jesus' disciples, why would your master dine with such lowlifes? When Jesus overheard this, he spoke up and said, healthy people don't need to see a doctor, but the sick will go for treatment. Then he added, now you should go and study the meaning of this verse. I want you to show mercy, not just offer me a sacrifice, for I have come to invite the outcasts of society and sinners, not those who think they are already on the right path. Okay. I just want to share with you four thoughts today that I want all of us to remember as we get ready for Easter together. And the first thing is simply this, remember that Jesus found you and called you by name. One day Jesus was sitting in a house and a big crowd was there and he was teaching about the kingdom of God. And the crowd got so large that there was no room left for anyone to come in. And four guys came along and they were carrying their paralyzed friend on a mat. And because they were so desperate to get this man to Jesus and the crowd was so full, they went up on the roof of the house, dug a a skylight in the roof, lowered the man down to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and he said, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. Now pick up your mat and walk. And for the first time in his life, the man is not only forgiven, he's free. 
and he gets off his mat, he grabs it, runs out into the street. For the first time in his life, he can walk and the crowd erupts in amazement. People are blown away. They can't believe this miracle they just saw. They're high five and they're praising Jesus. They're celebrating. Jesus comes walking out and it's like a Super Bowl party spilling out into the streets. We don't really know what that's like in Dallas, but you know, like other places. It's like a Super Bowl party spilling out into the streets. And Jesus is walking along and there's this giant crowd and they're worshiping and they're praising and they're shouting the name of Jesus and it's amazing. And as they're walking by over here is a man named Matthew, all by himself, sitting at a tax collector's booth. This is Matthew. Nobody likes Matthew. He's a tax collector. No one likes tax collectors and you like them even less when they take your money and giving it to the oppressing government that's a foreign ruler over you. And so here's Matthew sitting all by himself, all alone in his sin, his shame, and his brokenness, and he's watching the party passing by. And as Jesus has this giant crowd completely surrounding him, shouting his name, he gets to this point and he stops. And like the parting of the Red Sea, he parts the crowd and he looks over to the one person who is by themselves and he says, hey, Matthew, come follow me. Jesus didn't see who Matthew was. He saw who Matthew could be. He didn't define him by his past. He defined him by the potential of his future. Hey, Matthew, you come and follow me. And in that moment, when Matthew hears his name called and Jesus finds him, Matthew stands up and like butter on a hot day, the sin, the shame, and the guilt melts right off of Matthew's life. He stands up and he runs to Jesus and everything is different. Jesus found Matthew and called him by name. And Jesus found you and called you by name. And so the question I just want to ask you is this, is do you remember that? Do you remember the first time you met Jesus? Do you remember the first time you experienced him? Do you remember when he found you and called you by name? Like, what was it like? Maybe you were a kid years ago in a Sunday school class. Maybe you were a student on some kind of cool student camp. Maybe it was right before you got married. Maybe it was right after you got married. Maybe you were young. Maybe you were old. Maybe it was recently. Maybe it was years ago. Maybe you were heartbroken and going through a terrible situation. Maybe you were getting divorced or your parents were getting divorced. Maybe you had an addiction. Maybe someone in your family was sick and you were desperate. Maybe you were hopeless. Maybe you were searching for answers. Like, do you remember when he found you and called you by name? Do you remember how fresh it was? Do you remember how alive you felt? Just like Matthew, Jesus cut through the clutter and he found you in your brokenness. He didn't see who you were. He saw you who you could be. He didn't find you by your past. He defined you by the potential of your future. He restored your identity, reconciled your relationship with God and redeemed your purpose. You experienced or you received his grace. You experienced his presence and he restored the potential of releasing the kingdom of God in your life. In fact, Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrated his love for us in this. While you are still a sinner, Christ died for you. In other words, when you were sitting at your tax collector's booth and no one else wanted you, Jesus did. Hebrews 8, 12 says, he forgave your wickedness and remembers your sins no more. He doesn't define you by all the mistakes of yesterday. He defines you by his goodness today. Or 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. You see, Easter is the reminder that Jesus found you, forgave you, and freed you. Have you forgot? Because when you lose sight of that, 
You lose sight of everything else. Hear me, you can't lose your salvation, but you can lose your awe of your salvation. That's why the psalmist in Psalm 51 says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. I have no idea where you are today. You might be anxious, you might be depressed, you might be broken, you might be numb, you might be caught up in some bondage or some brokenness in your life. What I want you to remember though is Jesus found you and called you by name. Remember that. You with me? Second thing I want you to remember is this. Remember that we're throwing a party. Next week is a party because someone, when God finds you and calls you by name, it's a party. Look at verse 10. Later, Jesus went to Matthew's home to share a meal with him. Many other tax collectors and outcasts of society were invited to eat with Jesus and his disciples. First thing Matthew does when Jesus finds him and calls him by name is he throws a party. He throws a party because there's a lot to celebrate and he wants everyone else to come and experience it too. You see, one of the things that I love about our church is we genuinely believe that the kingdom of heaven is a party. We genuinely believe that church, Easter, the kingdom of God is not this somber, sorrowful, sad, religious, woe is me reality. We believe it's the ultimate party. And you say, well, why? Because that's what the Bible says. Like Jesus explaining the kingdom of God in a parable. Here's what he says, Luke 14. Jesus followed up and says, yes, there was once a man who threw a great dinner party and invited many. When it was time for dinner, he sent out his servants to invite the guests saying, come in now for the food is on the table. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is the father throwing a party, inviting everyone in. He's got a meal on the table and the meal on the table is Jesus, the bread of life. So he wants to feed you. Or how about Romans, Romans 14, 17 says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. Like it's not religion, it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. When Jesus makes wrong things right, we have peace with God. And when you have peace with God, joy is the only natural result. It's a party. Or how about Luke 15? Jesus says in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The heaven is constantly in a party because people are meeting Jesus. Or how about the prodigal son story? The son takes all his father's money, goes out, blows it, makes terrible decisions. But when he comes back home, the father runs to him, grabs him, picks him up, smells the fragrance of pig all over his son and says, go get a robe, a ring, a sandals, kill the fattened calf. We're going to dance and party tonight because this son of mine was dead. He's alive. He was lost. He's now found. It's a party. I mean, Everywhere Jesus went, he was the life of the party. So shouldn't the gatherings we throw in his name be a reflection of that? <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying, if you sit in church and you're grumpy and you're throwing a gathering in the name of Jesus, the gathering should kind of look like the gatherings that Jesus had with faith, hope, and love. Because how can you not party when you realize he came to defeat sin, death, and the grave? I mean, I remember being a kid. My parents had lots of parties all the time. And my dad had this big blue and white striped tent, giant tent that he would put up in our backyard and have family and friends come over and barbecue and swim and play volleyball. And, and, and because we were the kids and we were part of the family, there was always this responsibility we had when we had a family party. Like we would have to do the landscaping and clean up the garage and set up the tables and do the food. It was always a lot of work, but it was always worth it. Okay. 
Next week, we are throwing a party. I am not throwing a party. We are throwing a party. And since we are a family, there are some expectations and responsibilities of the family. So these are really simple. As we, we throw a party next week, here's how our family wants to behave and function. First thing is this, just be a servant next week. Matthew 10, 45, for the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life. Listen, next week, just serve people. Like little things, like park outside in, sit inside out. Like when you get here, park outside in. Choose the furthest away parking spot you can find. You say, but there's a hundred spots close to the building. You're right. And those are for the guests and the single moms and the new families that are coming. You can walk a little bit. And then when you get in here, sit inside out. You say, well, I like my seat in the back very much. Thank you. Okay. But next week, you're going to sit from the front to the back because the last seats that get filled up are the front row seats. And the last thing we want to do is take a new guest and put them down and have them sit right next to me during service. <laughs> they don't want to sit next to me. They want to sit in the back. And that's just called serving them. Hold the door open for people. Give up your seat if the service is full. Here's the thing. Choose the most inconvenient service time to come to next week. When you look at the list at your campus, we've got lots of extra services, and you look and you say, oh, sweet, I want to go to this one. That's the one I don't want you to go to. <laughs> I want you to look at it and say, who picked that as a service time? No one would go there, but I'm gonna. <laughs> because we want our main service times to be convenient for the people of this city. I'm just trying to say this. Just serve people like you actually believe Jesus served you on the cross. When you invite people into your home, you don't expect them to serve you. You serve them. So next week, be a servant. Second thing for our families, just, just be kind. Like Romans 2, 4, God's kindness leads us to repentance. It's your kindness that changes what people believe about Jesus. Hear me. When people come next week, they're terrified. Like, you got it. That's why I asked you, do you remember what it was like when Jesus found you? Because Matthew's terrified. He's over here by himself. People are going to come, they're terrified. They, they think God's mad at them and they think we're going to shame them. So if you will just be kind to them, it'll change everything. Here's what I'm trying to say. Your kindness will have more impact than my message next week. Your kindness will have more impact than my message. You say, ah, yeah. Because here's the deal. People aren't coming to hear a message. They're coming to see if we embody a faith. They're not coming to listen to something that someone has to say. They're coming to see, do we actually believe what's being said enough to actually live it out? So just be kind. If you'll be kind and just like, if you see someone and they look like they're brand new, go, just go strike up a conversation with them. Here's what you don't say. You don't walk up to someone and say, hey, is this your first time at Valley Creek Church? From personal experience, when you're the pastor and you say, hey, is this your first time at Valley Creek? And they say, no, I've been here 10 years. <laughs> okay. Nice to meet you. Here's what you say. Hey, how long have you been coming to Valley Creek? This is my first time. Awesome. Let me introduce myself to you. Listen, just a few weeks ago, I was in Guest Central and meeting people after service. And a lady brought another lady down and she introduced her to me and we started talking like we normally do. And then I looked at him and said, oh, have you guys been friends for a long time? And, and the brand new lady said, no. She said, today's my first time. She said, I walked into the atrium and I had no idea what to do and I was terrified. And this lady walked over, introduced herself to me 
helped me get my kids checked in, bought me a cup of coffee, asked me if I wanted to sit with her in service. After service, asked me if I wanted to come down to Guest Central, and now she's going to help me go pick up my kids. And I just looked at this woman that's in our church, and I smiled at her, and I said, that's the kindness of God on display. That's what changes people. Just be kind. Third thing is this, engage your faith. Engage your faith next week. Let me tell you two stories. Acts chapter 16 is a great story of Paul and Silas. Two guys who are falsely accused, beaten, thrown into prison, and it says it's midnight. And at midnight, they start worshiping and praising. I don't know about you, but if I'm beaten and falsely accused and thrown into prison, I'm probably not worshiping and praising at midnight. But they did. And it says the presence of God came so powerfully because God's presence is attracted to your faith. That it broke open the jail cells of all of the prisoners. Not just Paul and Silas's jail cell. All of the prisoners in the entire prison were set free because the two guys were willing to worship. Now compare that to Mark chapter 6 when Jesus goes to his own hometown. And he goes there to do some amazing things. And all of a sudden they're like, wait a second, this is Jesus. Like we know this guy, he's Mary's son, he's Joseph's boy. We know his brothers. Like, who, like we've been to Easter service before. We know the whole cross and resurrection thing. Whatever, we can just coast. And it says Jesus could not do any miracles there because they wouldn't engage their faith. Listen, your faith is meant to set people free. So next week when you come, don't come to consume, come to contribute. Don't come wondering what are you going to get out of it. Come and saying, how can I engage in such a way that my faith can set someone else free? Like, like here's an interesting illustration or analogy for you. Your faith is like a sports car. It's fast. It's powerful. It can take you places and do amazing things. But all it does is look nice until you take it out of neutral and put it into drive. Sports cars are amazing. They're fast, they're powerful, they can do incredible things. It does nothing but look cool until you take it out of neutral and put it into drive. Your faith means nothing if it's in neutral all the time. It looks nice. You can tell people you got a nice church and you're doing a reading plan in the year, whatever. I want to take it out of neutral and put it in a drive. Hear me, Easter will be as good or as bad as you choose to make it. You say, no, it's based on how good you preached. No, no. We're all in trouble if that's where we're at on that. <laughs> it's not based on the music. It's not based on the videos. It's not based on the message. It's based on whether or not you come with a faith to meet with Jesus. Matthew four seventeen. Jesus says, repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, at hand. It's right there. Like reach out and grab heaven and bring it to earth. Psalm 22, three, God inhabits the praises of his people. If you'll come next week and worship and have faith and raise your voice, raise your hands. You're like, I know, but I brought grandma Jean with me and she doesn't like the whole like worshiping thing. I know, but set grandma Jean free and just let it fly. Don't worry about if she doesn't like it, you know, kind of thing. Because God's presence is attracted to your faith and the presence of God is the greatest evangelistic tool on the face of the earth. People will not meet Jesus next week because of words that are said. They'll meet Jesus next week because Jesus will be here. And he comes because your faith invites him. And then let's just prepare and pray. We've been preparing as a team and getting everything ready. Just join me this week in praying that people would come and meet with Jesus, okay? We're going to throw a killer party next week. Remember that. All right? You with me on that one? Okay. Third thing is this. Remember, invite everyone, but bring someone. Look at verse 10 again. 
Later, Jesus went to Matthew's home to share a meal with him. Many other tax collectors and outcasts of society were invited to eat with Jesus and his disciples. What Matthew does is he invites everyone he knows and then he brings a bunch of people he's close to to this party that he's throwing to meet Jesus. He wants everyone else to experience the same freedom he just found. And Matthew has a unique access to the tax collectors and these outcasts of society that none of the other disciples do. None of the other disciples have a relationship with these guys. So Jesus touched Matthew knowing Matthew would be the key to reaching them. And because Matthew was willing to use his relationship and his influence to invite and bring, they actually met Jesus. Listen to me. Jesus touched you knowing you were going to be the key to touching the people in your life. Just like only Matthew could reach these guys, only you in this room can reach the people in your life. Only you have access to that family member, that coworker, that friend, that neighbor, that person you do life with. And Jesus wants you to invite them and bring them. I mean, John chapter one, I love this. It says, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was find his brother, Simon Peter, and tell him, we have found the Messiah, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus found Andrew knowing Andrew would be the key to unlocking Peter. Jesus found you knowing you will be the key to unlocking the next Peter. Come on. I mean, here's what I'm trying to tell you. There are, there are things called general invitations and specific invitations. General invitations inform people. Specific invitations move people. What I mean by that is this. A general invitation is this week you go on the website and you find out Easter at Valley Creek and you take one of the social media images and you post it somewhere, Facebook, Instagram, whatever it is. Hey, I would love for you to join us. Easter is going to be amazing at Valley Creek Church. It always is. Come and, and meet Jesus. It's going to be great. That is amazing. That's a general invitation that informs people. And if you think about it, if we all do it, that's that's probably millions of people that we would have access to, just awareness through our social media platforms, okay? But that doesn't move people. What moves people is you walking up to someone and saying, hey, Bill, what are you guys doing for Easter this week? Oh, we're not really doing much of anything. Well, hey, me, me and my family, we're going to be going to Valley Creek for Easter. And, and I don't know what you got going on, but man, I would love for you to come with us. There are services from Thursday to Sunday. Like there's all kinds of options. We'll go to anyone that works for you. Would you be interested in going with us? He now has to make a decision. So either way, you've moved him. And that's what a specific invitation will do. And the reason we don't want to invite people, I think it's three reasons. One is, I think we think it's awkward and embarrassing. We're like, it's awkward. I don't know how to talk to that person about faith. And here's what we think. If they want to go, they'll ask me because they know I believe in Jesus. (laughs) No, they won't. Do you invite yourself to parties? Most people don't. If you do, that's probably why you don't get invited to parties. (laughs) Okay. Here's my question. Is it embarrassing? Would it be embarrassing to tell someone they won the lotto? Yes or no? Whoa. Would it be embarrassing to tell someone they won the lotto? No. Would it be awkward to tell someone they just received a big inheritance? No. Would it be awkward to tell someone their prison sentence has been commuted? No. Then why is it awkward to invite people to eternal life? 
I mean, listen, Jesus isn't embarrassed to call us by name. Let's not be embarrassed to speak out his name. And if we're embarrassed or it's awkward, it's because we've forgotten that he has found us and called us by name. The second reason we don't like to do it is because we just say we don't know how. This is the legit. Okay, listen. Just invite them like you'd invite them to anything else. Like a picnic, a barbecue, over your house. Don't overcomplicate it. And hear me, do not make it churchy. If you make it churchy, invite them to another church, not our church. Don't make it churchy. Like, listen to me, Luke 12, when you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, and are inviting people to Easter at Valley Creek, that's John's translation, do not worry about how you will defend yourself or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Come on, Jesus wants to meet them even more than you want them to meet him. So he'll give you the words. You just got to have the faith to step out there. And the third reason is we say, well, what if they say no? What if they say no? Then you honored them, you valued them, you planted a seed in their heart, and you were obedient to Jesus. What if they say no? But what if they say yes? And the truth is they're more likely to say yes than no because sinners and tax collectors all showed up to the party. The least likely people were the ones who came. Hear me. You are our outreach strategy. Because you're Jesus' outreach strategy. People aren't coming next week because we have a sign on the, on the building. They're not coming because we keep our buildings nice. They're not coming because we have a nice website. As many lost people show up next week to hear the gospel and meet Jesus is because you are going to choose to invite them. I mean, look at verse 13 when Jesus says, then he added, now you should go and study the meaning of the verse. I want you to show mercy, not just offer me a sacrifice. He's talking to the Pharisees who are complaining about the party because religious people always get upset when the kingdom of God is a party. And he says, I want you to actually go and study this. I want you to show mercy, not just offer me a sacrifice. In other words, Jesus says, hey, I actually want you to go and invite and bring people, not just show up to a service. I want you to show mercy. Show mercy to people who are lost and dying and need to be invited and brought. Don't just give me a sacrifice. Don't just show up to service and think you're doing me a favor. That's it. Can I just, is that okay to say? I think a lot of us come to Easter and we think we're doing God a favor by being at Easter service. He's good. He doesn't need any favors. What he's asking you to do is show some other people some mercy the way he showed you some mercy. Romans 10, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scripture says, how beautiful are the feet of the messenger who brings the good news. You called on the name of the Lord because someone came and invited you. I wonder who's going to get to call in the name of the Lord because you're going to go and invite them. And remember, you're not inviting people to church. You're inviting people to meet Jesus. You're inviting them to have hope. Which brings me to my last thing is this. Remember, we are on a rescue mission. Look at verse 13 one more time. For I have come to invite the outcasts of society and sinners, not those who think they are already on the right path. Jesus came on a rescue mission. You say, what did he come to rescue people from? From their sin, their lostness, and their brokenness. 
Luke 19, 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. Listen, I think we forget that heaven and hell are real places and that eternity is forever. We forget that heaven and hell are real places and that eternity is forever. Hell was never created for humanity. Matthew 25, then Jesus says to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell was created for the devil and his demons, not for humanity. But humanity is heading there because of their sin and their unbelief in Jesus. So Jesus came on a rescue mission to save them. That's why John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save the world through him. Or how about 2 Peter 3, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He doesn't want anyone to go to hell. Listen, here's what we say. So here's what people say. Why would a loving God send anyone to hell? It's the wrong question. The right question is, is why would anyone reject a loving God who's inviting them to heaven? Why would anyone choose hell when Jesus came so they could go to heaven? That's the question. You see, people don't go to hell because of their sin. They go to hell because of their unbelief. I want you to think about this. People don't go to hell because of their sin. When Jesus died on the cross, he died for all sin, for all mankind, once and for all. It is finished. Past, present, future, all done. So it's all forgiven. We just have to choose to, by faith, believe and come under that truth and say, I now stand before God based on what Jesus has done, not I'm going to stand before God based on what I have done. Okay? Let me close it with this. Uh, there's a, a really uh, interesting movie that's out right now uh, made off of a World War II battle called Dunkirk. Maybe you've seen it. Maybe you know the history of the story. And it's a, a fascinating historical reality that in World War II, Germany was uh, moving forward. And they were about to take over all of the mainland of Europe. And they had beaten the French and the British troops so far back that they basically were cornered into this little town on the beach in the edge of France. Across the English Channel was England. And it's Dunkirk. And it's this little harbor and this little beach town. And there's 400,000 British troops and French troops. And Germany has surrounded them in such a way that they're able to literally just pick them off and just bomb them. The, the English forces, the French forces, they're hopeless. Behind them is the sea. The, the enemy has got them completely surrounded and they think there's literally no way out. So it's just a matter of time until all of Europe is lost and all of the soldiers are killed. And so Winston Churchill, the prime minister of England, he gets on the radio and he sends out this command. Because the problem was, is the British couldn't come in and get close enough to get the troops off the shore because as they would bring in the big destroyers, Germany would just bomb them. So there was no way to rescue the soldiers. There was no way to bring them home. And so Churchill, realizing that, he gets on the radio and he sends out this command and he says, hey, anyone in England who has a boat and is willing to leave the safety of the island, will you cross over the English Channel and go to the beach and help us rescue our boys a few at a time? 
And everyone laughed at Churchill. 400,000 soldiers sitting on a beach. They said, there's no way that's going to work. Maybe, maybe if you're lucky, you'll get 10%. Maybe if you're lucky, you can get 25,000. But hundreds of people in England heard the cry. And they went and got fishing boats and trawlers and personal yachts and sailboats and little lifeboats with motors on them. And they left the safety of the island. They went across the English Channel and they pulled up on the beaches of Dunkirk and got soldiers, 10, 15, just 20 at a time, and brought them back home to safety. And when the whole thing is done, they thought they would only be able to rescue maybe 25,000. They saved close to 350,000 soldiers. Because ordinary people will do extraordinary things when men's lives are in danger. Ordinary people did extraordinary things because men's lives were in danger. I tell you that story because I think that is a great illustration of the reality that we live in today. The enemy has surrounded the people of this world. They're backed into a corner and they have no hope and the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy everything that they've got and is easily picking them off. And our commander has come over the spiritual airwaves and saying, hey, anyone listening out there, will you use what you have to go bring my boys and girls home? And so he's looking for those of us who are willing to be courageous enough to leave the safety of this place, the safety of our life, the safety of the little confinements that we put ourselves in and cross over. Cross over the English Channel, cross over the living room, cross over our office, cross over the restaurant, cross over our street, cross over the neighborhood, cross over the classroom and go and use what you have to rescue the people that God loves and bring them back home. Ordinary people will do extraordinary things when men's lives are in danger. Ordinary people can do extraordinary things with what they have when they just become aware that their lives are in danger. And we can't just sit back and watch it happen. There is a weight and a burden to the mission of God. May we make it hard for people to go to hell in our city. May it, may it be hard for someone to go to hell in your life and in mine. And this doesn't mean go preach them down a storm, it means be kind. It means extend an invite. It means live a life that's a kingdom-centered life. And they just say, you are so different and you have hope. I want that too. You see, that is the ripple effect of Jesus. When Jesus finds you and calls you by name, you can't help but now go and find others and call them by name. And if there is no missional ripple in your life, because you've forgotten he's found you and called you by name. So you close your eyes with me. And, and let me just ask you, man, what, what is God saying to you today as we prepare our hearts 
for Easter. He found you and he called you by name. And maybe today is the day that that's happening. And once he does, you can't help but now be a part of his redemptive mission on this earth. May we not forget what Jesus has done for us, even if it was 50 years ago. May it be as fresh as it was that first day that it might move us to be a part of saving a hopeless and dying and broken humanity that was never meant to spend eternity in hell, but it was meant to live with a loving Father in heaven, and Jesus came to make the way. So here's what I want you to do for a moment. Can you just picture in your mind who Jesus is inviting you to bring next week? Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a family member, friend, a neighbor, a student, a coach, a teacher. I don't know. Holy Spirit, bubble up a name in our heart. Now, can you love that person enough to just invite them to hope? Can you love them enough to just bring them with you to have an encounter with Jesus? And so will you take your hand and will you just set it on your chair? Right now, Jesus, we pray for every chair in every service. We pray that those names that are in our minds and in our hearts right now will come into this place, that we will serve them so well, we will be so kind that there will be no fear, for your perfect love will cast out that fear, that they will come into this place and the name of Jesus will be lifted high and that you would draw all men unto yourself. We pray that that chair will be sat in in every single service that we have by someone who needs to hear the name of Jesus and that we would be ordinary people who do extraordinary things this week because men's lives are in danger and you have given us the keys. You have given us the hope. You have given us relationships, influence, and opportunity to invite them to come and sit at the party, at the feast, at the banquet, where they get to eat on the bread of life who is Jesus, the only one who satisfies and sustains our soul. Thank you, Jesus, that we are a family on mission, and may we live that mission out this week. In your name we pray, amen.